0: You're listening to the True Life Church podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor, Joshua Smith.
1: All right. Bad when you're like subtly getting rushed on by the production. Be like, just make the video <laughs> two seconds quick. <clears throat> uh, uh, so I'll make it longer. Uh, I'll do a little bit more. Uh, make up. I got 30 seconds bonus time now. Um, if you would like to come to my birthday party, uh, you're all invited. It'll be later this afternoon. Um, that's a joke. I turned 39 in May, but I aged four years last night during the Georgia game. Uh, good gracious. Whew. Go, go dogs. Um, so I don't know if you, you see this, but our children's ministry puts together this little, this little page. And uh, oftentimes things are left behind by a number of children, young adults, and big adults in this room and other things. Uh kind reminder that we are in no shortage of trash cans uh, around here. So you're warmly invited to help us keep this place clean. However, every once in a while, some of the things left behind, I am thankful for. And this is one of the kids' uh, packages. They have a a sheet. And so for any young person who chooses or has to submit to being in this room for the entirety of my message, they can circle words that they hear throughout the service. And this is actually, uh, I don't know if I want to say her name, uh, but on this day... Uh, A young lady in our church filled out this sheet. And it was uh, myself and David Allen, one of our elders here. And uh, oftentimes it's Brad, uh, who's another one of our elders. So most days it's not just me up here. And they can circle all the words that they hear. And I'll be honest. We can gauge church success or growth by any number of metrics. How many people were baptized? How many people came? How many people left? What the average giving is? Blah, blah, blah. But in all my 18 and a half years of ministry, and this is not recent, I've saved this picture from, hold on, August 28th. This was left behind. And on that day, this young woman in our church, based on a packet that our children's ministry team puts together, heard these words, all of these words that day in church Jesus, pray church, forgiveness Bible, truth communion, God repent, grow disciples belong, family sing, believe serve, listen hello read, Jesus pray, lead, together sin faith Love, Paul, cross, and grace. Now again, we can measure church success or not by any number of metrics. That's the one I care about. If some young adult, some junior high young woman can come and hear all those words in our church, not even spoken by me, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we should be about, right? That's what I think we should be about, anyway. So it's important. If we can have those types of biblical conversations, if you're invited into a small group and community, and you are, and if you are not in a small group, life group within our church, you need to be in one. You got meeting every week. Some of them with child care. Some of them with no child care and children just running them up just children. No care. <laughs> I really want to invite you to be a part of what God is doing here at True Life Church. And I really, despite some ups and downs, I really believe God is building here something at, at True Life Church. And we're going to come to that in today's message. Regardless of whether or not you or I are a part of it, my goodness, God has done something already. As if we need, if you haven't been here for the journey... Eight years ago, we were portable in an elementary school cafeteria, pulling everything on and off a trailer and a, and a storage unit. We didn't have a building. There's that song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. So some poor old guy named Ebenezer like, you're going to raise me what? No, that's me. We're going to put up a stone. We're going to put up a marker to remind ourselves, much like the Israelites did. They crossed the river, set up a stone. Something happened, put up a stone. We should set up these markers. And my goodness, even over the last eight years, have not we seen God's provision? So why should we doubt? Right? I'm excited for the times ahead because we get to grow in our faith. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are in our study in Acts and a couple of things from last week uh, as we then bridge the gap into this week. First of all, uh, we are still intended to be a light to the nations. God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth, and that was from uh, one of the top one of the points from last week. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, we finished off, and there was a guy named Agabus who foretold that this whole area was going to be a, have a famine. We talked about it under uh, Emperor Claudius, and if you don't like history lessons, uh, I make no apologies, but you might not enjoy today. I won't apologize for it, but pull up the pampers. Here we go. All right, uh, some history things because it's important for where we're going. So in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem and Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And again, this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And how great is it, to be honest, that we have had that Scripture right before what has happened in our state. Now we are almost, in some ways, God has tied it for this season together, that we have a parallel in our own backyard of being able to send relief to others who are hurting and in need. How great to even be a part of that. So that if you all you know think the, the Bible is ever outdated, it is definitely, 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 definitely not. Second point from last week, I encourage you to trust God. To not do more than you're called to do. Agabus do, uh, the word, uh, from the Spirit and said that, and that was it. He didn't have an action plan, he didn't have a step-by-step thing of, or process of what needed to happen. He did what he was supposed to do, and that's it. And then he delegated, and then he basically let the decision be made by the leaders of the church. Hey, here's this information. When we prayed about it, here it is. Now, I trust you as leadership, go do something about it. So relief was sent. Agabus didn't try to identify the problem and provide the solution. Third, everyone has a role to play, a gift to give, an obedience to follow through with. We are called to participate. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is everyone get off the bench and get involved. And I give the analogy that, you know, and again, it's football season. And that's where my brain is at. My, my son, Landon, he loves watching football. And um, my goodness, he loves watching football. So I love that I have that bond with my son to sit there and watch football. And he's excited. and He knows all the teams and everything. It's great. Uh, I think someone even last week here said, you know, oh, did Georgia win? Yes, and he told me exact score, like, my boy's is smart, um, and he loves football. So anyway, um, bless you. So gave the, gave the analogy that imagine if we were all playing, and so usually football is 11 versus 11, and if if you and I were able to stack the field on the other side of the ball, everyone involved, where would there be room to run or throw? And the answer is that there wouldn't be any, because everyone would be involved. That's the type of picture we, we want in our minds when we're all involved. Imagine the other team. The other team is obviously the enemy. Does he win? No, we're going to come to that a little bit later today. Finally, since sin first entered the world, God's plan has always been for restoration. But it's not on your terms or your timing. So that's going to lead us into today. So I invite you to stand with me for our scripture reading today. We're going to continue in the story. And uh, we're going to do it a little bit shorter than I had originally planned. Rewrote it halfway through this week. Things changed. And just again, trying to be obedient to the Spirit and the text. So Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I invite you to follow along with me as we again stand in reverence for God's Word. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that um, I'll be a good steward of its contents today, uh, that uh, it would be, as always, prosperous for us to learn and live by. Uh, so, God, I pray that I, I speak um, well, that I do honor to your name, to your word, and I pray for all of our hearts together um, as we, the body of True Life Church, uh, are called more according to your purpose through this teaching today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Have a seat. One of the reasons why we're stopping there is that for the time being in this next week, in our continuation of the story as we walk through the text, I almost want us to leave Peter in prison for a week. I mean, I know he spent some time there. And so almost, I want in the back of your mind, if Peter was from among our own body of Christ, and someone you knew was thrown in the slammer for their faith, they wouldn't be released 27 and a half minutes later, at the end of whatever my message was. So I want us to leave Peter in prison for a week, because he spent some time there. And we know that at the end of this text, as well as where the rest of Acts chapter 2 goes, uh, read with me verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, and what was going on in the church through that time? Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church was praying fervently, earnestly, rigorously, desperately, praying for Peter. So what we're going to do this st- today is kind of set the stage as to why, tell some things that have been going on uh Historically, and add some much needed context to the story and why these five verses matter so much for us. To start there, I actually want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verses 13 through 20. Matthew chapter 16, 13. Through twenty, because we need to understand, first of all, that Jesus said what was happening in Acts was going to happen. And second of all, even beyond Acts two thousand years later, even to us today and around the world, what Jesus said would happen is happening. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who Who do people say that the son of Man is who? Do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street? And they said, well, some say it's John the Baptist it might be John the Baptist is the is the Son of Man. Others say it's Elijah. He's come back from the dead, uh, reappeared, and and Elijah is doing some really crazy cool stuff. Others, Jeremiah. One of the prophets, guys who've been dead for like 500, 600 years. Yes, them come back doing all this kind of stuff. Imagine, you know, the guy, the old guy who's waited in the Indiana Jones movie for the Holy Grail to come. <laughs> anyway, he says, "You have chosen poorly." Anyway, some old. No, it's not bringing those old guys back to do what is happening. And he said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" Now that's what they say. They haven't recognized it. And he turns the question more inward, more introspective, and say, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, always first to try to get a word in edgewise, first out of the boat, first to deny, first to be restored. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, "Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, no one can confess that Jesus is Lord. This is also scriptural. No one can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And the Spirit has revealed itself through the person of Jesus Christ too." Peter, says, you're, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. Jesus says, how do you know that? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, and on this ground, on this foundation, I will build my church. Here's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. Verse 18 here. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. For today, that could be another message in and of itself. Um, But we're going to keep moving through to tie things back into Acts. So that I will build my church... Few things we want to take away from this passage to give us a better understanding of yes what we've read in Acts and some things to take away practically with us for today. First of all, Christ will have a church in this world. He he said it. I will build my church. And just for clarity, though it's in the text, we sometimes get confused with its application. Who will build the church? I'm sorry. This is involvement, yes. Who will build the church? Christ. Christ. Does Pastor Josh build the church? No, do you build the church? Does a great marketing campaign build the church? Do great finances build the church? You see where I'm going with this. I could literally say anything for the rest of the 40 minutes or whatever it is I'm going to do and it would all be true. Jesus builds His church. So our desire and our dependence then should be on not us to build church but absolute reliance on Jesus to build his church. And I'm thankful because over the last few months like we've got some new families coming in. I'm looking at some of you. And it's great. Little ones, big ones, old ones, young ones, all great. I'm loving to get to know some of you. Some people drive from Cape Canaveral to come here. Amen. Jesus is building his church. Because I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know how you're finding us. We got a website, we don't do much with it. We got a Facebook, we don't boost anything. We do no ads, we do no publication, we do no marketing. We're not out on the streets wearing our coordinated t-shirts. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Someone's with me. All right. Like this is this is important stuff. I don't know where you're coming from. Jesus is building His church. And here you are, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to be in ministry alongside with you. I'm privileged and humbled to be able to lead y'all. I don't take it lightly. What a joy that I have you. It's like that, you know, what is it, Rascal Flatts song, God Bless the Broken Road, and Here You Are. It's a love song. I only got one in here that applies to that. Was we danced to that at our wedding? Aww. <laughs> Christ will have a church in this world, and you and I ain't building it. Who is Jesus, Jesus Christ? All right, just to make sure we're all clear. Does the church ever go away? No. no. Okay. However, number two, his church will be attacked. Where is that evident? Well, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is something, war. there is warfare going on. And if you and I are in the Spirit, we feel it, we sense it, we know it. It has been revealed to us. And day by day, as things progress and happen, our eyes should be more and more open to it. And aware of what's going on, I almost wanted to, I joked with Lisa yesterday, I should add a segment. Uh, about 30 seconds of uh, every Sunday, a little little picture or something like, Josh can't believe he saw that this week. I don't know, it would be like a little theme song, you know. And, and And this past week, if there was such a segment, now created, this past week, here's what it is. <clears throat> it's a Facebook group called Christians Against God. I'll just let that sink in for a second. Yep, uh, four, about four hundred members in this group. Christians against God. This group is exclusively meant for Christians that do not believe in God. <laughs> or, or, there's a caveat. Or for Christians that do believe in God and just don't like Him. <laughs> Things Josh couldn't believe he saw this week. Bum, 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 bum. All right, so his church will be attacked. Now, what is that attack? No, that's just absolute ignorance and people being misled. Now, there are attacks, though. So if we know who's building the church and whose church it is, Jesus Christ, who is the adversary, the enemy? The devil, Satan. He has a name. The enemy, the bad guy, the one who shall not be named. He has has a name. And he's out to attack the church of Jesus Christ. Latter-day Saints, not included. He's out to try to affect us, to destroy us. And to be honest the easiest way he does that is to distract us. And this world is different than God's church, yes? Eric, I'm going to go to that two slides away thing. I had a conversation this week and out of that conversation uh, just a mere 36 hours ago or so, was some of the rewriting of this because that conversation, thankfully, from someone in here, uh, he, uh, he and I were talking, and I'm thankful for brothers in Christ. I'll just say that, uh, of all shapes and sizes and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and I have a shape too. It's like pear, um, with with toothpicks underneath. All right. So, in all shapes and sizes, I'm thankful. Um, for brothers in Christ, and through this conversation, uh, kind of became the exodus for uh, the rewriting of of much of this message. And out of that conversation, I'll share this with you, and I I take no credit, even though I said it, this is the Holy Spirit, and I'm thankful for this, but I have to share it with you. Because this is the words, don't you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? This is what came out in this conversation. It was one of those moments of, like, light bulb. Okay. It's easy to be the type of church the world is looking for. It's easy to be the type of church the world is looking for. You understand that? Because the world doesn't really want truth, the world doesn't really want it told, you're a sinner. You need to repent, no, I'm good the way I am. And every commercial will tell you, you're perfect the way you are. I'm good. I'm great. I need nothing. You deserve better. You deserve it. You deserve it all. No one wants to be told the truth. No one wants to change their life. No one wants to be confronted with the sin. And we who are in Christ and in his word know that the wages of sin has a price, has a cost. And the wages of sin is death. And there are countless churches, as I mentioned earlier, that are simply just distracted. Now, I'll preface what I'm about to say with this. I hope you leave encouraged every week. I do. I hope you leave fed with the word. I hope you leave uh, enjoying the community this belonging of believers. And that's, that's, that's my hope. But since we have shifted things over the last year or two years, post-pandemic, and and teaching this at a a deeper level, it is not the popular message that many out there are saying. Everything's going to be good. Motivation will speak. I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you to repentance. I want to I want to motivate myself to repentance and a right relationship and understanding of a holy God, and then in a, an unbelievable appreciation and thankfulness for who he is and what we've been given. Right? I just... You need motivation, there it is. That's way better than a cat poster or just hang in there meme. This is life-changing stuff here. The world wants convenience, wants comfortability, wants complacency. And this calls us into unity, only in Christ. Accountability. Christ will have a church in this world, and his church will be attacked. You and I, and our children, and our great grandchildren, will be, Lord willing, a part of a church that will be attacked by the enemy physically, emotionally, spiritually, politically. Prepare for it. Finally, despite all of that, those attacks will fail to destroy Christ's church. Isn't that good news? It's like that moment in Forrest Gump with little no-legged Lieutenant Dan up there on top of the mast, saying, you call this a storm? Bring it. Persecution? Yeah, we can take it. Because the Christian life is really a call to die. call to die to self. Much in the same way that John the Baptist said, Jesus, upon the approach of the Lamb of God, here comes the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, whose whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. He must increase. I must decrease. And we want to like vindicate and right fight for ourselves Of like I want to be somebody in this world so did like 82 billion people or so who've probably lived before you who knows I want to be somebody be in Christ let that be enough it's easy to be the type of the church the world is looking for Back in Acts today, we are hopefully with an understanding, a little bit of what was come to pass, and the things that Jesus had said to his disciples, of which this James would have been there for. We've got to get a couple of things straight. First of all, there are three main Jameses right, in the New Testament. All right. First of all, you have James, the son of Alphaeus. And other than being the son of Alphaeus, virtually nothing else is known about him. He was the disciple, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. We know in Acts chapter 1, we read that already, that he is in the upper room praying before what we call Pentecost, right? And then after that, he along with several other apostles aren't mentioned again in Scripture. That doesn't mean they weren't there. Many of them were actually sent out. We're going to come to that in a few moments. Um, But there's no record of them in this particular text. That's James, son of Alphaeus. Then there's the second James, which some people might argue is the most important James. Often referred to as James the Just. This is the brother of Jesus. Jesus had brothers? Yes. Jesus was conceived, given birth by the Virgin Mary, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm married, and I am, and we have Holy Spirit child, which is fantastic, that I've been entrusted to to lead as a person, father, or whatever, and I still have, not the Virgin Mary, technically yet, um, over here, married, we're going to want to make more kids. I'll just say that there, all right? Now we know, we know in Matthew 13 and in Mark 6, Jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. Because they're not mentioned by name, but plural. So this is at least two. I'm not great at math, but there's an S. All right? Sisters. All right? We also know that Jesus' own brothers... Did not believe. And I'm actually going to turn here real quick. Because it's important. You don't have to. But John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Jesus going about in Galilee. would not go about in Judea. Because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him. Leave here and go to Judea. That your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For if no one works. For no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things. Show yourself to the world. Verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him thought he was probably the weird brother like here's, here's wackadoo Yeshua going around and like yeah he's my brother but like we don't talk about him you know like a monster move type of thing like it's just oh here he comes again you know family gatherings and are a little awkward or whatever you know I don't know but they wanted no part in what Jesus was doing or his ministry they did not believe they were his family but they wanted to end at that now it didn't stay that way this is so great Because something happened during the crucifixion and the resurrection that made them believe. Hmm. I wonder what that was. Hmm. Maybe it's knowing your brother of 30-some years. Go do some really cool, interesting miracles and everyone else saying he's the Christ. And you see your brother dead. And then he comes back from the dead. That That would make me... Definitely believe that he was who he said he was. What better profession of faith than Jesus' own family, not believers, become Christians? Anyone? I mean, like, if, you, if you want a statement of faith, like, he's my own brother and I didn't believe him. But now I've seen him and believe. In 1 Corinthians 15, we know from Paul's writing that Jesus appeared to his brothers after the resurrection. We know that in Acts chapter 1, again before Pentecost, that this James, the brother of Jesus, is also in the upper room praying. And from later on in this chapter, from Acts 12, verse 6, on forward chronologically, this is the James that will most often be mentioned in Scripture. Galatians chapters 1 and 2, later here in chapter 12, Acts 15, has a great speech and a forward. This James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe, now believes, became a central figure. And the growth in the leadership of the early church, especially in Jerusalem, where he would be, I guess, the senior pastor in today's terminology. Finally, there's the James of today. This James here in Acts chapter 12, that was killed by the sword. This James is the son of Zebedee. He is the brother of the apostle John. They were fishermen in Galilee. They worked along with Peter. And they were a follower of John the Baptist before they became followers of Jesus Christ. This James, who is mentioned most in the New Testament in the Gospels. is this James, son of Zebedee. Almost certainly the older brother, because they were mentioned in order. So whenever you read the names of people, the oldest came first in Hebrew writing. And they would have go they would go down the, the line of oldest to youngest as they wrote the names. And James, it's always James and John. Um... There's one passage in Luke where James isn't mentioned at all. Maybe they weren't together that day. They kind of joined at the hip in all the other passages, of which at least there are 21. So you have James and John. James most likely the older brother of John. Well, there's also the book of James. Well, who wrote that? Here's what's fun. We don't actually know. Theological scholarship leans toward James, the brother of Jesus, like we just talked about, who is a prominent figure in the early church in Jerusalem. But it could also have been James, son of Alphaeus, because both James had brothers named Jude, or another one of Jesus's brothers' names, Jude or Judas. Right? Again, obviously not Judas Iscariot. The one who betrayed Jesus. This is why the last names kind of matter in most of those contexts. Because it makes clear that it wasn't his own brother who betrayed his brother, Jesus. Make sense? Alright, so. It could be James, the son of Alphaeus. It could also be the James we're talking about today. James, the son of Zebedee. Now, we know James died early here. Somewhere around A.D. 44. 44. So some people like to say, well, it's written after that, but they don't have an approximate date. The book of James was written incredibly early that we have now in our New Testament, that book of James. And the book of James is sent to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Again, some say that these twelve tribes say that it couldn't have been James, the son of Zebedee. It had to have been James, converted brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. Because, you know, they had time for people to scatter, but now... On the other side, it's like this, it's dialogue between the two. Keep in mind that there are 12 years that separate Pentecost from the death of this James today. Plenty of time for people to be scattered abroad. The 12 tribes and a letter to be written. Plenty of time, 12 years. Plenty of time for that. So it's important that we keep our James straight, because there are a few of them. This James, specifically the son of Zebedee, he was kind of one if there was an inner circle, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ. It was Peter, James, and John. And often they're going to be mentioned together. These three disciples were the ones chosen and allowed to come up at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ with Moses and Elijah on the top of the mountain. Peter, James, and John were there in Matthew chapter 17. In Luke chapter 8, James was allowed to... And, and invited in to see Jairus' daughter being raised back from the dead. Not everyone got to see that. And finally, Peter, James, and John are invited into, deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed. And as most tired people do, they fell asleep in Mark 14. I want to walk briefly through a little bit of James before we tie things off today. And not James the book. But this James, the son of Zebedee's life here, who we're going to, to read, was ended on this earth. First, we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm sorry, we're at the Ross passage. My bad. That's okay. Hold on. Hypo. Like I said, I'm rewriting this sucker as fast as I could. Five. Take out the one. Got carried away. Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting in one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch.' And Simon answered, "'Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets.' And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking.' So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats, so much that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And also, verse 10, were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon in the fishing business together. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. So here we see James, invited to come, follow me, make fishers of men, after seeing what Jesus had done with this amazing catch. Turn back a little bit to Mark, chapter 3. And again, we're kind of doing a, a little bit of a time study of what a few things that are in James's life. I've already mentioned a few with the transfiguration and the Garden of Gethsemane, but a few of other important things to keep an eye out for. Mark, beginning in chapter 3, verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, Cephas. James, the son of Zebedee, here he is, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. Boanerges, that means sons of thunder. We can stop there for today. Sons of thunder. We know that most fishermen, most sailors have a mouth. They have a tongue. They have, let's say, some often four-letter type of words that come out uh, often. Uh, men on a boat, you know, they were you know, probably marked or you know, I can imagine it might have had tattoos or other scars from being on a boat and getting you know hooks and nets and things caught. And these were rough, gruff sons of thunder, so much so that Jesus kind of gave them this nickname. And they were feisty. You know, anyone ever known anybody who just wanted to fight? Like, no matter what, they're just they want to fight. That was just sons of thunder, all right. So Jesus called these James and John sons of thunder. Go on to Luke. Back to Luke now, chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. And this is fun. So we see a little bit of these sons of thunder in action here. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. And when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, Jesus, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, sons of thunder saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to sell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Like, come on, let's do a fight. Let's Sodom and Gomorrah this place. They don't want you. Let's burn it Alright? Let's get in a fight. Let's do this. But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Hopefully we're getting a picture, a little bit, of of this James. Alright? We also know that the sons of Zebedee's mother, Salome, she was involved, all right? Let's go to Mark chapter 10. This is slightly also before the passage that we just read. We're going to go to Mark because there's a little bit more detail there. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these sons of thunder, these feisty, fiery you-know-whos, came up to him and he said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. Come on, Genie, you want to rub that lamp. Gimme, gimme, gimme. We want something. You're working all these miracles for everybody else. Work one for me. I want. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And again, it's so great that Jesus asks this when he would have known the answer. asks anyway. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. So it's you, you're on your throne, and then you've got sons of thunder on either side. It's going to be great. Just little brr, fiery guys to fight your battles. This is how I fight my battles. No, there's one on every side, just a James and a John, ready to do. We want to be in honor next to you. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, Yeah, we're able. Sons of thunder. We can do it. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. To sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant, in James and John. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is a direct teaching lesson right here for the James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I know you're feisty. I know you're fiery. I know you want to fight, but you got to learn how to serve before you can lead. And in Luke's passage, uh, parallel, we know that the mom was involved somehow asking for this for her sons. And here in Mark chapter 39, this cup that he was going to drink, what is the cup that Jesus drank? We know it. We just share it with There's a cup of sacrifice. So what... Jesus is saying here directly in Mark chapter 10 verse 39 is directly going to lead us into right back into where we were and where we're going to close in Acts. James, this same James, this fiery son of thunder, this feisty, fighty guy, did not always remain so. Before we get a little bit more into what's going on here, we have the, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So first of all, this is Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa reigned from about A.D. 41 to 44 as the king of Judea. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. So when you go to the birth of Christ and, and the Gospels and you have that Herod, that is not this same Herod. There are actually five Herods, but that is not this same Herod. That's, this, this, what we're reading about, is the grandson of that Herod who, with the wise men, came, he wanted to find out who the baby Christ was or whatever, and the king, and he killed all the infants, right? That Herod, right, this is his grandson. Apple didn't far too fall from the tree, all right? So he was sent off to, to Rome to be educated when he was young, made friends with a couple of guys named Tiberius and Caligula. Cali- Caligula. Caligula, 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 right? And at one point in time, educated in Rome, That's is why often he's called to Agrippa, that would have been his Roman name. Right, Herod would have been the Hebrew name, and uh, he's in prison for a short time because someone overheard him wanting Tiberius's death. Well, eventually Tiberius is killed, and Caligula becomes emperor, and he was also friends with Caligula, so he gets let out of prison and then given title and land to go back to be the king of Judea. Right? So he goes back, and once he comes back, we'll call it this way, he tries to find his Jewish roots. He might have embraced that Roman Empire thing a little too hard. Now he goes back and so he is kind of a, a pious leader. He fights for the, the statue of Caligula that he wanted erected in the temple to not be put in the temple because it went against Hebrew law. He fought for that. He was a friend of Pharisees. He was a zealot in much the same way Saul was for the Jewish faith. He observed the scriptures to the letter, gave the appropriate numbers of sacrifices. This guy was serious about finding his Jewish roots. And if you would have asked the people of the time, this particular Herod was well thought of by most people. They laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Keep your finger there real quick. I'm going to turn back. You don't have to. In Acts chapter 6, we've already read about a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen was not an apostle. Right? He was appointed as a deacon, as a leader um, after all that. So the first apostle martyred for the faith is this James, son of Zebedee we're talking about today. Stephen was the first martyr, if you will, for the faith that is recorded of. But he wasn't an apostle. Okay? Among those, however, were six other men. We can read about it here, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, proselyte of Antioch. And during this time, so when you read, and this is not, again, the biblical text, this is the historical text, which is great because it validates the biblical text. Like they just, it's just another reinforcement for how good and how true the word of God is. And in this verse 1, about that time, the king Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. During this time, Timon and Parmenas are also killed. Some of these exact same men we just read in Acts chapter 6 are also killed. One in Macedonia and one in Philippi. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And James is the first possibly martyr. Son of thunder, feisty, fiery, fighty guy. But the writer and historian, theologian and Christian, who lived only just about a hundred years after all of this transpired, named Clemens Alexandrinus. He wrote this. It should have been close enough to the historical record that there is some value in our understanding of this. He wrote that when James was being led to his execution, his extraordinary courage impressed one of his captors to such a degree that he fell on his knees before the apostle, asked his forgiveness, and confessed because of his faith he was a Christian too, saying that James need not die alone, whereupon both of them were promptly beheaded. Wow. This son of thunder, this feisty, fiery, fighty, want to fight everyone guy. Because of Christ, his life was drastically changed. Now, I don't know about you or I, but how would we approach such a threat to our existence? Are we... Willing to be imprisoned for our faith? Are we willing to die for it? A few things to, to learn as we look at the arc of James' life. Because everything that's here is worth reading and spending some time on. Like this great man of faith, this disciple, this apostle of Jesus was this is just always the end for him? Yes so that you and I could read about it and learn from it. The church is greater than one member, one family, and one person. Now we know and can imagine that the early church would have been maybe somewhat scared. We know that's why they were earnest in prayer. But they trusted God. I see their leaders being killed off might be a little might be a little scary but whose church is it it's Jesus' church and who's building that church Jesus. all right. seems such like it an unbefitting end for a great man of faith there can be almost no greater end than this Really? You think about it? Don't get me wrong, I'm not in a hurry to die. I want to live for Christ. For Christ. Should the time come where I have to choose, like in the book of Joshua 24, 15, who I will serve, I choose to serve the Lord. I choose to follow the Lord. And if necessary, absolutely, I choose to die. For the faith that He has given me so that others, even through my death, might know and be saved. Is there a greater call than to die to self? Or die in this life for the sake of Jesus Christ, who has died for us while we were yet sinners? The church is greater. The church didn't stop here after James's death. No, it continued to flourish. It expanded. It exploded Despite the persecution, and Herod in his pious religious zeal is attempting to snuff this out, ironically, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's another Passover. How well did that work out the last time? Let's kill this Jesus guy. Let's get this done. Nope. Not again. The church was under attack. Jesus said it would happen. But the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Which leads us to our final point today. What are you and I a part of? What are you and I really a part of? Yeah, we're part of True Life Church. Think bigger. Think longer. Think better. You and I are part of a global, universal, And eternal Church of Jesus Christ. We are part of a global, eternal, and universal church of Jesus Christ. Like, isn't that great? Like, I'm excited about that. Take the name down off the front. I don't care. Move us into a Wendy's. I don't care. Build a new building. I don't care. Come all to my house. I won't care. My wife will. Come on over. I don't care. We are part of a bigger than true life church. This is good news. We need to be in fellowship with one another and in a legacy and generations of the people who have come before us who have paved the way with men of faith and leaders like James to lay their life on the line so that you and I could stand here in freedom and read it. And sing and worship. They can't do that all around the world. I don't know if you're unaware of that. The church is not done being persecuted. In Asia, they're being killed. This is why I love the ministry they partner with with, with our missionaries over in Asia. This is so important. We give every single month and we should give more. Because they need it. Maybe more than we do. They're baptizing 10,000 over here. We're like, if we give one. I'm glad for the one. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is building a church larger than True Life Church. One day I will die. One day you will die. One day True Life Church might die. Is that my wish? No. I wanted to live. I wanted to live beyond myself, but I don't know. The only type of legacy you and I have is actually when we're gone. We can't live to see a legacy. You can live to see a leg, you see. We can't live to see a legacy. It's not going to happen. So who are you going to pass it on to? I'm watching Georgia football, my mom and my dad went to the University of Georgia. And my son loves the University of Georgia. And I had some pipe dream last night at 3 a.m. Why I couldn't I fall asleep? And kids are crying. Ah, whatever. I was waiting. I was like, I was lying awake. Fortunately, Lisa took that one last night. We've had nosebleeds, and we've had throw-up. It's been a fun week. I don't care about the hurricane. It's been blech in our house. All right? Yay, parenting. I was lying asleep, and I know what time it is. Just hang in there with me. You know, I was lying, uh, uh, not able to sleep last night. I'm thinking, you know, you know what? Who's stopping me from, from applying to, to go to University of Georgia? I would like to finish my education. I not know if I can afford to, but I would like to. Right? I'm going to see what I can do to work that out. Why, why not? Because my parents went there. and be a legacy. And then maybe my son can go there. I've got a video of Landon saying, he wants to be the Georgia football quarterback, number 13, just like Stetson Bennett. <laughs> I love, okay, so, but legacy. And so, I mean, as I, as I just picture what that is, that's just college. That's American university. That's first world problems. And, the, and for God convicted me because in that second, like, oh, I could be a part of this Generational family that attended University of Georgia—that doesn't matter. Crap. What you and I are a part of is generational legacy of the faith, and that does matter. And you and I are grandfathered in, able to participate, able to to worship, able to read, able to to pray, able to be a church together because of the foundations these men who died for their faith laid for us. Thanks be to God. That we might be able to have one faith one day. God bless us with that measure of faith. To even despite the circumstances that are going on, while these men were being killed off and their leaders being butchered at the sword, what were the church doing? They were praying. For two reasons they couldn't do anything else, and there was nothing else to do. But pray. It's easy to be the type of church that the world is looking for. To be welcoming, to be inclusive, to put a flag out front that just displays something. It's easy to go do community service projects or clean up after a parade. It's easy to wear coordinated (laughs) t-shirts. It is not easy to live out our faith. But it should be. We've been called to it, church. And we've been called to a church that is bigger and better than True Life Church. You and I are part of the church that Jesus Christ is building. And there is nothing, no gates of hell, no span of time, no attack from the enemy that will ever prevail against what God is building. Amen? Amen. Let's be a part of that church this week. Be on mission. I've got a dream I'm going to share with the leadership team a little bit later at our summit meeting coming up. And for the first time, perhaps, in my life, I'm looking forward to Halloween. You know why? So I grew up in a, in a house. We didn't, do, we didn't do anything like that. We didn't do the dress-up or whatever. The first time I ever went trick-or-treating, I was 16. And I wore a costume uh, dressed like George Washington with a wig and buckle shoes because that's what I had from a history project. I looked ridiculous. And I went to doors in my neighborhood, and they're like, aren't you a little old for candy? Yes. That's a lot. But I took it. <laughs> and in a couple of weeks, the world, and maybe some of us in here, without the right intentionality, are going to gather. We're going to go door to door, handing out communion. Sorry, candy. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> handing out candy, and you see where I'm going with this already. You see where my mind is. Handing out candy or receiving candy. I'm... Per Leadership Summit today and some elders go ahead on some funding as a step of faith because it technically it might not be there in our budget. But again, I don't care about that. You and I are about to have an incredible gospel opportunity in our community where you don't have to leave your home or your neighborhood. Think about that for a second. I want to make up these little cards. By the hundreds and the thousands that you and I can pass out to every single person. Family comes to our door. Every single family we give candy to gets a card. Where do you go to church? Gets a card. Do you know Jesus Christ? Gets a card. Do you know that you're a sinner like I am? And that there is a Savior who is Jesus Christ? Gets a card that says, do you want to be a part of the church that God is building? At True Life Church? What an incredible gospel opportunity. I don't care about candy. Forget Reese's Pieces and M&M's. Give good news. Y'all with me on this? I'm excited for Halloween. Because if us as a church are gospel-motivated, the whole mission changes. People are about to come to your door. You don't have to go on some worldwide trip to evangelize. They're about to knock on your door because you left your light on. And you wish you wouldn't have had And your dog's barking, rah, Good news, an opportunity coming to your door. I want, to, I want us to be about it. What better opportunity than beyond candy to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen? I'm excited for that. I hope you are. I'm just throwing another pipe dream out there. Maybe we'll all go to University of Georgia together. I don't know. But I want us to be a part of the legacy. I want us to be a part of what God is doing here in the hope that maybe maybe, and not for our glory, but only for the glory of God, maybe someone, one day, will read about your measure of faith. About your measure of commitment. What a story that will be. For a life well lived for the gospel. God is building something here, amen? And I want to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want others to be a part of it, because God is good. And I'm excited about what's to come. Church, let's pray. Man, I want to invite you out. We're gonna close in a song. Because it's always a good time to praise the Lord. And again, I don't I know I see the clock. You act like uh, I see it. I know what time it is. I just don't care. Because I want to praise, I want to worship, I want to read, I want to study, I want to learn, I want my life like yours to be changed because of who Jesus is. And I'm sorry, but that's worth an extra 20 minutes, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us. Thank you for a committed church that in other congregations might have left already because the preaching was too bad or too long. So God, I thank you for a people who who continue to stick around despite my failures and foibles, my words that don't do enough justice to your goodness, to your word. God, I thank you that you are sovereign, you are sufficient, and anything that you and I, church, that we try to do falls short, God is there. And even in our failures, even in our weakness, Christ's strength can be shown. God, I thank you for true life, church, to those who are members of this body. I pray that you would give us a fervor, an excitement, a momentum, a, a motivation to worship, to be about your word, to be a people of prayer. That we would grow and belong and serve out of the overflow and out of the abundance of what you have done for us. That we aren't motivated to get the name of True Life Church out there. But simply the name of Jesus. Because it is in that name that every knee will bow. One day, every tongue, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. It is you we worship. It is your life for our forgiveness. It is your spirit in us. So we thank you. And True Life Church, with one voice, said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, y'all. Ready?
0: Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.